just want to read to you. I want to read to you Psalm 150. It's the last psalm in the book of Psalms. And I hope you hear what I heard as I was reading this as we were singing. Just, just continue to stand for a minute. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power and praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with strings and pipes. Praise him with the clash of cymbals and praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Does that sound quiet to you? Does clashing cymbals and blasting of trumpets, does that sound remotely quiet to you? What how, why is it when we get into the sanctuary and get into church, suddenly we get quiet? That's not what's happening in heaven. That's not what David is describing. David's describing a people that are exuberant, that are excited, that are passionate. You know what happens? We don't prepare ourselves for church. Oh, what? What do you mean? Look, I bet if you go to Meyer, you prepare yourself. We all know the people that don't prepare themselves to go to Meyer or Walmart because they still have their pajamas on. But most people prepare themselves to go out. But you know what we do when we come to church? We're listening to country music on the way to church. We're listening to classic rock on the way to church. We're staying up late and binging on stuff, and I'll just stay up all night Saturday night, and then I show up to church tired, and I wonder why I don't have any energy to praise God. You've not mentally prepared yourself. You've not spiritually prepared yourself so that when you walk in here, we're not excited for the things of God. We're simply doing a task that we think we need to do because we're Christians. And the world looks in and goes, why would I go there and do that? Have you ever watched a football game during COVID without any fans when they don't have the fake fan noise going on? It's weird. We have something greater than that, and we're sitting here, never going to let me down. It's weird. It's just weird. Don't be weird in church. Be weird out there, but don't be weird in here. Be exuberant. Be happy. Be excited. Turn off the classical rock and country on the way in or the rap or whatever. Turn it off on the way in and get yourself psyched up for what God's going to do. The creator of the universe says, I've ordained this for you and for me to come together. So good, good father. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Really? Imagine if I walked into, i got to be careful what I say here. Imagine if I walked into an IU or Purdue game and went, I had to, you can't say one without saying the other, right? Imagine if I walked into one of those games and went, they would look at me like I'm a nut job. The way some of you are looking at me now. Can we shout on the shout of three for Jesus to get some life in here? One, two, three. Woo! Yeah. All right, kiddos, you ready to go back? Go back. I don't even know if dabbing's a thing anymore, but I just dabbed. So, all right, you guys can be seated. You're like, when's this preacher man going to let me sit? 
All right, well, I want to just say welcome to everybody who's watching online. Thank you for watching. Leave us a comment or a note. Shoot us a message. If you've got a prayer request, we want to pray for you. Thank you for watching online. We are praying for you. I understand that we still have a lot of people in quarantine and are out sick. Um, so I just want to pray for them. I, next week, I know it wasn't an announcement, but next week, we're going to be able to sign up for grow groups. And we're looking forward to groups. If you've not a part or you're wondering what grow group is, Take, take like Bibles and then add a whole bunch of your interest and fellowship and relationship and just add it. And it's not a class room. It's not a class, but it's actually a discussion. And we get together and we hang out. And we're going to offer every grow group. We'll offer an online virtual session as well. If you're like, man, I don't know if I want to go sit in somebody's house with COVID, um, there'll be virtual options for grow groups as well. So I'm excited about that, looking forward to that, and those will start uh, later, but signups will start next week, and we'll have them listed. I want you to sign up and be a part of that. We're going to continue to go through the gifts that Jesus gave to the church. Remember last week in Ephesians that we said that when Jesus came back from the grave, that he gave gifts to his church. He, he took captivity captives, basically those that had died before him who, who um, went in kind of the holding cell, if you will, for the afterlife. He, took the, he went down and he proclaimed the message that he is the son of God and those that believed on him in that life, he took them captive. In other words, he took them with him, right? And so what's that mean? Well, let me give you an example. I was talking to somebody this week. Let's say... How many of you are familiar with the story of David and Goliath? If you've played sports at all, I know you've heard David and Goliath, right? It's like a locker room talk. And so basically, Jesus, prior to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, those that died in the Old Testament basically went to a, to a holding place and to what we would call paradise. And Jesus goes down and he proclaims himself. We find this in 1 Peter and Peter tells us that he proclaims the message of the gospel to those that are in this holding place. Now, it didn't matter if you were a saint or sinner uh, in the Old Testament. David and Goliath went to the same place. So Jesus goes down and he proclaims himself the son of God. And it's very possible that Goliath said, yes, you are the son of God. And Goliath follows Jesus into heaven. It's very probable. We think, oh, he, he wouldn't. But we don't know. We don't know but it's a possibility. And so in that same verse, Paul tells the church at Ephesus, and he's just really uh, quoting the Psalms again. He says, not only did he do that, but on his ascension up into heaven with those that believed in him in the afterlife, he gave gifts to the body of Christ. He gave gifts to the church. And so what we're doing is we're going through these gifts. And last week, we talked about what an apostle is, and we talked about apostleship. And what an apostle does. This week, we're just going to take up the next one in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4, 11, it says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And we'll wrap up our series with verse 12 to equip the church to do ministry here on earth. So he gave to the church apostles, those who would go out, start churches, um, correct and reprimand and disciple churches and, and get churches back on track or start them fresh. We talked about how do you know 
if someone is an apostle. Um, let, let me just say this, too. I was talking to somebody on the phone this week, and we were talking some about this, and I said, Here, here's the one thing that for me, and this is just my own personal opinion, it's not in Scripture, but if somebody walks into the room and says, I'm a prophet or I'm an apostle, I'm raising an eyebrow to that and going, mm. you might be somebody who's more interested in a title than you are doing the work. And so that causes me immediately to call them into a question. Because the Bible says you will know them by their gifts. You will, you will just know them. You will know how they operate. You, you'll know, they won't have to come in with a trumpet blast and say, I am whatever. You'll know them. So today we talk about a prophet. What is a prophet? Now, I brought with me some binoculars, and when you use binoculars, what are you trying to do, anybody? See something far away. You're trying to look at something in the distance and bring it closer. Remember last week I likened I likened an apostle to the tip of an arrow for a hunter, right? So he's the first to go in. The first to go in. A prophet is like binoculars, or for some of you hunters, he's like a scope on top of the rifle. He can, they can see in a distance and see, here's what's coming down the pipe. For most of us that are just trying to live our day-to-day life. They can, they can see what's coming down the pipe. And so they'll put the binoculars up spiritually. They'll, they'll take a look at something and go, here, it's coming, it's coming. Be prepared, get ready. And what we're going to see as I close out the sermon today, I'm going to show you how an apostle and a prophet work together because we have, a, we have an example of that in the book of Acts. But the word prophet is the Greek word prophetis. And it simply means pro Pro means to be before, or to go before. And fatis means to speak, the gift of speaking. They have the ability, literally, to, when this word is used, it means to stand before God, to be before God, and then to speak to God, or to speak on behalf of God. To speak on behalf of God. Because why? Because they've been standing in the presence of God. They know what God's thinking. They know what God's saying. They understand where God's wanting to take something or or wanting God, uh, God wants to prepare people for what's coming down the pipe. And so a prophet stands before God. And it's so important to understand that to represent God, you have to know him. We have to understand this. If we're calling ourselves Christians, which which literally means little Christs, if you call yourself a Christian and you're a little Christ, don't you have to know him to represent him? Doesn't an ambassador for a country have to know his country or her country before they can represent their country in another country? They have to know. And so it's so important that a prophet stands before God as they are constantly, and they're, they're intimate with God. They know God inside and out. They know his will, his plan, his direction. And so someone who, someone who is a prophet is somebody who's standing before God, and they're looking and seeing what God sees. And they take what's far away, and they bring it, into the now, and they say, okay, God's saying this. 
We need to move. We need to adjust. We need to be prepared. We, we need to um, whatever it is. Now, the question gets to be, for those of us who are not, how do we know what they're saying is true? How many of you have ever had somebody speak to you before and you're like, yeah, I don't know about that, right? And they're like, oh, and they're like, oh, thus saith the Lord. I mean, just get on YouTube. They're all over the place, right? Especially like with the last election and God told me this and God told me that. And all. How many of you have seen some of those videos? And yeah, right? And they almost, they, they almost in many ways lend themselves to conspiracy. And that's not biblical at all. That's not biblical at all. So how do we know a true prophet versus a false prophet? How do we know what somebody says to you is really real and what's not? The Bible gives us instructions. I get asked this all the time. Somebody, God told me through a prophet or somebody was telling me this, what do you think? And what I want to say is, well, if you knew your Bible, <laughs> you'd know. But I can't do that, right? So what do I have to do nicely as a pastor say, well, and then I take what I'm about ready to tell you and I apply it to what was said. But I want you to be able to do it for yourself. Because Paul tells the church at Ephesus, God gave these gifts to his church so the church would grow and be prepared and be ready. I remember back in 2020, and, and Aaron, one of our elders, will tell you this, Aaron, and at the time it was Cam, Cam was one of our elders, and we went away to a cabin uh, back in 2019. And we, the three of us, went off for about an hour by ourselves to pray. It was the elders' getaway, like, what's gonna, what does God want for the river in 2020? What's coming down the pipe for 2020? Now, neither, none, of, none of the three of us were our prophets, but we were praying. And we came, we came back. You remember this? Aaron's like, Yes. We came back and sat in the living room, and I just said, okay, what did God tell you? And I looked at Cam, what did God tell you? But I'm not going to tell you what God told me, because I want to see if, <laughs> anybody ever been there? Maybe with your spouse, like, you went off and prayed, and I went off and prayed, and you want your spouse to tell you what they said. And I remember sitting there, and Cam looked up at me, and he goes, and I, I don't remember the exact word. But it was something to do with 2020, there's going to be major change. And I was like, crud, I heard the same word from God in the last hour in prayer. And I was like, okay, well, if Aaron says it, then it's three out of three. And Aaron said something about upheaval. I think it was the word he used. Do, do you remember what word, was that the word? Was this? Aaron said there's going to be major upheaval in 2020. So Cam says major change, Aaron says upheaval, and I said drastic change in direction or something. And the three of us sat there and we're like, we all got the same word from God in that cabin in the middle of nowhere. We hadn't talked about it before, nothing, right? And so we're sitting there and God basically is, God was telling us, be ready to change in 2020. It's not going to be like anything you've ever experienced. We didn't know what that meant. We know now, right? We, we know now what that meant. But so as leaders, we began to prepare our hearts and prepare, prepare ourselves for change that was coming. It was a lot of ways God taking what's in the future 
and telling us things are changing. Things are going to be different. Be ready. And what I did was, is I took that and I said, okay, now, now this is what I want you to understand. This is what I want you guys to understand. That God loves his church. He cares for his church. And because he loves and cares for his church, he says, guys, here are some things that are coming down the pipe. Be ready. Be prepared. And this is the work of a prophet. Okay? Now, like I said, none of the three of us are prophets, but we had a word from God that we needed to be ready. So what is the purpose of a prophet, and how do we know if their message is real or not real? Okay? How do we know it's real or not? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. Let's start there. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. We're going to jump on, to, uh, jump on down to 1 Corinthians 14, 24 through 25. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are, to con- uh, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he says, guys, the purpose of prophecy is three things, and we're going to dive into those here in just a second. Those are three things, but the result of those three things should be that those who do not know God would be like, wow, God is really operating and working among you, and I want to give my life to Christ because I see God working among you. Does that make sense? That all of these gifts are are for one purpose, to draw people to Jesus. To draw people to Jesus. And so in verse 24, if we can just, uh, I'm sorry, go back to verse 3. Let's go back to verse 3. Verse 3 says, But the one who prophesies speaks to people for three things. They're strengthening, they're encouraging, and they're comfort. Strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So let's just break these down real quick. So if you get a word from the Lord, if somebody comes to you and says, man, I just feel like God's wanting me to tell you this, or God's wanting me to speak this to you, right? Um, now, I, I grew up like, I grew up in a Pentecostal charismatic atmosphere, and so some of you right now are scared just because I said that. But we, like, there were like these things, like you'd be walking out to your car and people would have what I call parking lot prophecies. Like they just, hey, hey wait, wait a minute, God told me to tell you, thus saith the Lord. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, right, whatever. You always run it through the filter of these three things. First off, strengthening. Does the word of God coming from that individual strengthen you? What does this mean? This Greek word means to renovate or to improve what's already there. What they say to you, does it, does it renovate your heart? Does it strengthen you? Right? You know, sometimes when, you're, sometimes when somebody is going through uh, a house and they're, they're redoing a house, right? They might be improving or renovating a house and they get to the floor and they realize that the floor joists is like, these floor joists are bad, right? You ever watch uh, Love It or Leave It on HGTV? Anybody? What does she always have to deal with? There's always some unseen issue, right? Like, I could sum that show up in like two minutes. But I have to watch it because my wife might get an idea that I have to spend money on. You all know what I'm talking about, right? And so, if you follow me on Facebook, you saw our curtain dilemma from Friday night, right? And so, there's all, 
there's always like a major issue with floor joists or the main wall that supports the house. A prophet will come along and that floor joist of your faith, if you will, gets strengthened, gets encouraged, gets like, yes, right? Like, yeah, it, it, it strengthens your faith. It strengthens what's already in existence. Does that make sense? So if somebody says something to you, you're like, okay, yeah, I, yes, that strengthens my faith. That strengthens, that strengthens what I believe. It doesn't create doubt. It doesn't create fear. It strengthens. The second thing that it does is it encourages. This is the Greek word paraklesis. Para means to come alongside of. And so what we have here is the word that they give you comes alongside of the word of God in your life. In fact, paraklesis was a courtroom term, and they would use it basically to mean that someone speaking in the court would agree with the judge. So their word that they give you better agree with the judge of the universe or you kick it out. If it doesn't pass any one of these three filters, you kick it out. So if they say something and it doesn't line up to the word of God that you know and what you understand of scripture, you kick it out. It's not... No, that's not biblically accurate. That doesn't make sense biblically. This is why it's so important for us to study and understand and know the word of God. Gift, these gifts weren't given to, these gifts weren't giving, given to the pastor for the pastor to figure it all out. The gifts were given to the church, you sitting out there. So you would understand the word of God and go, okay, well, that person's saying this, but it doesn't line up with the judge in his courtroom. And what he says in his book, right? So we, we kick it out. And I'll, I'll come back to that later. The third thing that you filter a word, when somebody gives you a word from God, the other, third thing that you filter through is, is it comforting? It's the Greek word paramethos, para again. It means it comes alongside of and supports, this is literally what it says, tenderly and sympathetically. It's not, if you do this, you're doomed, right? And then lightning and thunder fall and all this stuff. It literally means to come alongside of empathetically, sympathetically, and tenderly. Hey, I love you. I care about you. Here's what I'm seeing that's about to come to pass if we don't change or if we don't begin to work on this, etc. It's a loving, caring type of word. And so three things. One, it should strengthen your faith. It should line up to Scripture. And it should be sympathetic and caring, not you better do this or else. Right? If it doesn't meet any one of those three criteria, you kick it out. How many times you, how many times you watch prophets on YouTube and it's not loving, it's not caring, it's not do y'all understand what I'm trying to say here? Yeah. It has to be in line with these three things that Paul tells the church at Corinth. Why is it so important that Paul tells the church at Corinth this? And the, and the church at Ephesus. Because you've got two Greek cities 
that have, in Greek mythology, put a whole lot of faith and trust in the oracle at Delphi, which is a center of Greek mythology prophecy. And Paul's basically saying, let, let me tell you a little, another little secret. Satan can't create anything. You go through Genesis to Revelation, Satan never creates. He only perverts and twists. He takes what God's created and then he twists it and perverts it. So if Greek mythology and the Oracle of Delphi have all of this prophecy going on, it's only because Satan has take, taken one of God's gifts to mankind in prophecy and he has twisted it and perverted it so he can lead and control and manipulate. Because that's all he wants to do. And so Paul says, guys, you're right, but no, 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 no. In the world of Christ, this is how it God gives you a word, it should strengthen what you already feel and cinch in your heart and your relationship with God. It should encourage you. And, and by encouraging means it should align with the word of God and it should comfort you. I love what Jack Hayford Said, he said, Jack Hayford says of prophecy, he says, it does uh, not offering interesting forecast. He says, prophecy, prophecy does not offer some interesting forecast of this will happen on this date and that will happen on this date and blah, 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 blah. Uh-uh. It's, hey, I've really been praying for you and I just feel like God wants me to say this. And so they say it and they say it out of love and conviction and passion and concern for you. And then when you receive it, you have this like, yeah, I feel that too. I sense that too. And it does align with God's word. Right? And so what happens then is they've got their binoculars and they've been with God. They've been before God and they look and they say, oh my gosh, I see this in your future. Okay? And it may come to pass. It may actually happen. And so they take what's far away and they bring it in. Let me give you a prime example. When I had a youth group, I had a member of my youth, and by all means, look, I'm not a prophet. I just happened to have, like, this word at this moment. And, and I was praying for this, this teenager, and I said to him, I said, I just feel like God wants me to tell you this. I don't know if there's any, any truth to it or not, but I feel like I should say this. I said, I feel like God is going to give you an opportunity to go to college free of charge but God wants me to tell you not to blow it. And I remember him starting to cry. And I'm like, okay, this is a teenage boy, and he's crying. This is really weird. <laughs> right? Like, teenage boys don't cry. And he just started crying. And he goes, thanks. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. Well, he, he comes back next week, and he goes, I want to tell you what happened. He goes, I've... Um, he goes, I've got really good grades, and there's some scuttlebutt that I might actually get a full ride because of my grades and my family's income level and blah, 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 blah. And um, I'm like, okay. His senior year, two years later, his senior year, he gets offered a full ride to a college because of his grades and his family's income level and so on. He gets offered a full ride, and then about... Right before graduation, he does something stupid and blows it. And to this day, you know, I'm friends with him on Facebook. He's an adult now. He's like, do you remember that? He goes, I was so dumb. I blew it. And now he doesn't have a college education. He makes great income. I mean, he's got another job. He makes great income. He's fine. But he's like, 
He goes, you told me that was going to happen. He goes, and I blew it. He goes, you told me that two years before it even happened. You told me that. I said, well, I'm just doing what I felt. i just saying what I felt God wanted me to say to you. And so what he does is he takes that word I gave him two years before it happened, and he goes, okay, was that loving? Did he, did he put his arm around me? Did he, did he care for me? Yes. Was it lined up to the word of God in my life? Like, do I look in scripture where we're supposed to better ourselves and improve ourselves? Yes, okay, I am supposed to, you know, this does line up to the word of God and, and all of these things. And yes, it did. And so you have to be considerate and, and run everything through those through filters. So what do you do when someone comes to you and then predicts something that's not true? What do you do with that person? Now, in the Old Testament, you stone him to death. I just thought I'd throw that out there. If you tell me something, you prophesy something, and it doesn't come to pass, you're stoned to death. So if you're going to tell somebody, if you're going to tell somebody that something is going to happen and it doesn't, you better think twice, right? Um, but not so. We don't find that in the New Testament. We find the gift of prophecy move forward in the New Testament, but now, do you remember we talked about in the series uh, the dispensations? We are now under the dispensation of grace in the church age, and we operate in grace. So we don't stone people to death anymore, okay? Don't, no, that's bad. Don't do that. We operate in grace. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 20 through 22, I think gives us, out of the message translation, gives us a good idea, and then we'll back it up with 1 uh, Corinthians 49. Before we read this, let me, let me give you something else that's not in my notes. When you read the Old Testament and you go, is that for us today in the church age? What you have to do is look at the verse in the Old Testament. Do you see it in the New Testament? If you do, then it carries through. If you read something in the Old Testament but it's not in the New Testament, it ended with the church age. Okay? You guys are like, man, this is like Bible 201 or 301. You're welcome. All right. Deuteronomy 18, 21 through 22 of the message. You may be wondering among yourselves, how can we tell the difference whether it was God who spoke or not? Here's how. If what the prophet spoke in God's name doesn't happen, then obviously God wasn't behind it. The prophet made it up. Forget about him. <laughs> Just common sense. Thus saith the Lord, God told me to say, and it doesn't happen. Well, what caused him to say it? I don't know. Emotions, feelings. He's trying to connect A, B, C, and D in his head intellectually, and so he's boom. Just, that's it. You're done. Okay, look, clearly you didn't hear from God. Moving on. It's that simple. We don't need to get our, we don't need to get our dander up. And, ah, just move on. If you've watched stuff on YouTube and the prophets on YouTube weren't right, move on. Don't listen to them. It's that simple. But let's move on. Let's, um, in 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully, notice this, should weigh carefully what was said. Weigh it. Try it out. Run it through filters. We're in the age of grace, right? Sometimes some things just get muddled between our feelings, our emotions, and our intellect, and what God wants to say. Some people just, you just weigh it out. You just weigh it out. 
If it comes true, it comes true. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Again, does it, line up, does it, does it align with what I feel God's been telling me all along that I've sensed in my own personal time with God? Does it align with Scripture? Right? And are, are, are they doing it lovingly? And I want to go back to this idea as, as we get ready to wrap this up. I want to go back to the idea that prophecy... Never, never, never under any circumstance trumps the word of God, ever. It will never, if somebody prophesies or tells you something that's not in here, it's not from here. Paul even writes at one point in the New Testament and says that if anybody, myself, another human, or an angel were to preach to you anything other than this gospel, it's wrong. It's a miss. Right? So, 1 Corinthians 14, 37 and 38, Paul goes on and tells the church at Corinth, if anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. He's simply saying, if, if you are a prophet, you will align and agree with Scripture. If not, ignore them. They're out there in la-la land trying to build their own following or do something else. Always, always, always go back to the Word of God. Always. Does that make sense? So if I want to encourage you, one thing this morning is to know the Word of God. If you know the Word of God, and somebody says, I just feel like God's wanting me to tell you this because I, I, I see this may be happening in your future, then take it, line it up to the Word of God. If it doesn't line up to the Word of God and what you've been sensing in your life, the person's off. As the Bible says, ignore them. Move on. No need to be like, oh, there, whatever. Just move on. Let me give you an example in closing of how prophecy and an, someone who's a prophet and someone who's an apostle work together. In Acts chapter 21, we find where Paul is ready to go to Jerusalem. Paul's like, I've got to take the message of the gospel to Jerusalem. Right? Well, Paul's been to Jerusalem before. He met with the 11 or the 12 that were with Jesus. He met with them and he prayed with them and they they said, man, you've got a great ministry. Go out and do your thing. Well, Paul's wanting to go back to Jerusalem. He's like, I've got to go back to Jerusalem. I've got to spread the gospel um, to, to the Jewish people. And in Acts 21.4, we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. So, so Paul's outside of Jerusalem. He's in another town, another city. And he sought out the disciples in that city to stay with them. And through the Spirit, capital S, so it's the Holy Spirit, Small s is your spirit, capital S is the Holy Spirit. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. The Spirit was speaking through these people to Paul. Don't go, don't go, don't go. Paul's like, but I gotta go. Don't go. This isn't doom and gloom. We're just saying, don't believe this is God's will, right? And then go on in uh, verse 11. Coming over to us, he took, so one of the disciples that Paul was with at that moment took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, so the belt, he ties his hands together, 
this, this disciple ties his own hands together, ties, ties his own feet together, and says, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit is telling me right now, they will bind you, they will cuff you, and they will take you in as a prisoner. Now, we know that Paul ignored the prophecy. Paul, the apostle Paul, like the greatest influence in Christianity other than Jesus, ignores the word from the Holy Spirit. So when you blow it with the Holy Spirit, just know you're in good company because the apostle Paul blew it too. You guys should like feel really good about yourselves right now. Does everybody feel good about yourself now? Oh man, if I screw it up, oh man. Paul screwed it up. Paul wasn't perfect. Jesus is the only perfect person to have ever lived. So Paul ignores the prophecy. Says, I'm going to go do it myself. I'm going to go on into Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that they literally, just like this prophet told Paul, they cuffed his hands, they cuffed his feet, they put him in jail, they took him to Jerusalem, and that was the end of Paul. They martyred him. The prophet was trying to say, hey, I've got some really good news, man. If you don't go to Jerusalem, you're going to be okay. But if you go, they're going to bind and gag you, take you to the court, and then that court in Jerusalem will take you to Rome, and then Rome will martyr you. But go ahead, Paul, and I'm just telling, I'm just warning you. This isn't doom and gloom. Remember, it's got to go through the filter. This isn't doom and gloom. I'm saying, Paul, you can continue your ministry if you don't go. And I love you. But this is what's going to happen. Are you with me? So when somebody gives you a word, take it, line it with your own heart, line it up to Scripture and say, now, how does that fit? How does that work in my life? Right? Isn't that good to know that even if you blow it, God's still going to use you because Paul on that final journey to Rome brought so many people to Christ. He actually brought members of Caesar's house in Rome to Christ. Imagine that. Imagine somebody's telling you, don't go to Washington, D.C., don't go to Washington, D.C., and you, and you go to Washington, D.C., but the, but the president's family, all of them come to Christ. Wow. Wow. Even if you blow it with Christ, you're still used. And let me, let me just define, in your mind you blew it, not in God. God's like, okay, I can use that. I can use that. So if you're here this morning, you feel like you've blown it. You feel like you just missed the mark. I want you to know you haven't. You can't. Can I give you something else that's encouraging? You're not powerful enough to stop God's plan for your life. Don't give yourself that much power. All you need to do is walk in it. Right? Walk in it. You haven't blown it. You missed the mark. Ask for forgiveness. Move on. Let's stand up this morning. If you're here this morning and, and maybe you've never really given your life to Jesus, you've never said, Jesus, I want you to have full control of everything, my thoughts, my actions, my attitudes. I want to make you Lord. 
of my life. I want to invite you this morning as they go ahead and start the music. Lynn and I are going to be up here to pray with you. We want to pray with you. We want you to invite Christ into your life. As the rest of us just sing. If you need prayer for anything this morning, we want to pray with you. You guys ready to have an amazing week? Listen. Go out. Tell somebody about Jesus. If you came in this morning, man, I've just blown it with God. Paul blew it. It's okay. God's got a plan. You guys have a great week. We'll see you next week.